a global supply chain meltdown at Southern California ports. What can be done to fix it? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach are currently suffering from heavy congestion, with multiple container ships backed up and waiting in the harbor to offload their cargoes. We're seeing the bunching of vessel calls, jammed up marine terminals and distribution facilities, long lines of trucks waiting to pick up and drop off containers, and shortages of both equipment and dockside labor. The situation is causing shippers' costs to soar while delaying the flow of product to market. It isn't expected to get any better in the coming weeks, and possibly not until late this year. So what's to be done? My guest today has some suggestions. He is John DeCesare, president of World Class Logistics Consulting, Inc., and a veteran of the Southern California transportation scene. We'll hear about the extent of the problem, as well as his suggested remedies for alleviating the bottleneck, both for the short and long term. Here is my conversation with John DeCesare. John de Cesare, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. John, describe to me what is the situation at Southern California ports right now? Is it not an exaggeration to call it a global supply chain meltdown? What's going on? No, that's pretty accurate. And I speak from over 50 years experience in Southern California in goods movement. I was here when it first started, uh, when global trade took off, and I'm on the front lines now seeing uh, what's happening. But since June, the imports have ratcheted up significantly, uh, which has created a major surge in volume, even increases of 20% in year-over-year comparisons. Also, the, the vessels are coming in and they're bunching at the mm-hmm. ports. When you have a 13 or 15,000 TU vessel, that alone is challenging to handle efficiently for these terminals. But when you have two of them coming in back to back, then there's a creation in the terminals where they're putting containers on top of containers and causing extra delays and costly handling charges. The yeah. truck queues are the longest they've been. They're in the 80 or 90 minutes long for trucks to get in and out. There's a significant shortage of chassis. There's a major element in labor in terms of both the ILWU labor having a shortage of workers, which is impacting the ability for the terminals to use all their equipment to the maximum to get containers throughput moving. And the warehouses are having issues, too. Not only a shortage of labor, but uh, trying to abide by the COVID-19 work rules, which has impacted their level of productivity. The question is, why now? I mean, pre-pandemic, the economy was going great guns. Activity was really strong. We had a lot of commercial activity, especially in terms of container volumes across the Trans-Pacific and into the Southern California ports. So why all of a sudden now is it so bad? Is it because of the shortages of people and equipment or what? No, that's an excellent, excellent comment, because 18 months ago, two years ago or more, we were having issues. We were having a number of friction points in Southern California with the automated 
truck appointment system, with the chassis inventories, with a number of factors. So when the volume increased, it just accelerated the pain points. It made them even greater and more serious. This doesn't all come about because of the surge in imports. That surge really compounded the problem and really elevated how serious it was. But it was happening before this, and changes were being made, but not fast enough to deplete some of these pain points. The shortage of labor on the docks kind of surprises me as well. Is that a function of the ILWU keeping down that level, or they just don't have the the authorized workers to put on the docks? There just aren't enough bodies out there. Well, there's multiple reasons. I've been told by people in the industry that say uh, some of the longshoremen just don't want to expose themselves to possible COVID-19, so they've not reported to work. And just some of that workforce has been skilled uh, equipment operators, and that's been a real problem for the terminal's productivity at a time when they really need those workers. Yeah, you mentioned vessel bunching, which is a natural outgrowth of these ships getting bigger and bigger. I mean, any port, you'll see it'll go for days without anything happening at the at the berth, and then all of a sudden here comes all these big ships offloading between eight and 12,000 containers per vessel. I guess that's not a problem that's easily addressed because these ships are just what they are. Right? I was reading publications in the Journal of Commerce for years about how both these ports are big ship ready, big ship ready. And mm-hmm. I just kind of reflected on it and say, be careful what you wish for in life. You might get it. And sure enough, we got the big ships. and <laughs> We might have been deep enough in the channel and the bridges were high enough, but the terminal processes were not geared for the big ships. They surprised us and that contributes to some of the problems. We knew that our productivity levels per ship were nowhere near approaching those of some of the big ports elsewhere in the world, like Rotterdam, Singapore, and Hong Kong and the like. Right. I mean, that's still right. the case? Yes. Yeah, that's still the case. We have 12 terminals. Two of them are automated, one in Port of LA and one in Long Beach. And they're exceptional. They're like Swiss watches on the jewelry counter when you're coming in to buy a nice watch. I've had tours multiple times at both these terminals, and it's like incredible to watch how efficient the, the containers flow and stuff. But those aren't going to happen again for some time. There's some real issues with management and labor here. Yeah. But, uh, Is there also a problem that we don't have one standard marine terminal operating system in the port because we have all these different terminals run by different entities? These are landlord ports that LA and Long Beach themselves don't have control over them. So is that an issue as well? That's an excellent point. It's called fragmented. Twelve terminals are interdependent, but they have fragmented systems and processes. And that's why They can't turn trucks quicker. Trucks are delayed because they're delayed at another terminal with those processes. It's a major factor that the terminal management people have to understand. Guys, you're not independent competitors. You're competitors in a way, but you have to have systems that will interface well with the neighboring terminal because this has been apparent for the longest time. But in terminal management's defense, when I first consulted to them in 1990, I was told, John, this is a unique industry. It's not like any other. And this friend of mine said, we've got the highest land cost, $300,000 an acre. We've got the highest labor cost, $200,000, $300,000 for equipment operators. And we have the highest capital cost. We have to buy ship-to-shore cranes and yard equipment. So he says, that's the world we work in, and that's the world we have to compete in. And he told me that. But I said, that can't block you from creative thinking, though. You can't be so focused on labor productivity and equipment productivity and land utilization that you don't pause for a minute and say, hey, what can we do in in this area or that area? Mm -hmm. And take some principles from other firms. 
Why aren't carriers and shippers or beneficial cargo owners, BCOs, why are they not sending their stuff through alternative ports, either Pacific Northwest or going through the Panama Canal, the East Coast ports? Why is it bunching up and, and why are shippers not taking advantage of other opportunities? Well, they finally started to. But as you know, when you have your cargo on these big 18,000 TU vessels, the economies of scale, your ocean freight cost is much lower than if you came across on a smaller ship. Also, transit time is money to time-sensitive cargo. We did a, a big project for a major retailer, and they told us, John, for every one day we save from our factories in Asia to our retail stores in North America, we'll save $100 million to the bottom line. Wow. $100, $100 million. So that just goes to show when an intermodal train is sitting on a siding somewhere or containers are not moving, there's money in those boxes. It's not just... TVs or tennis shoes that you have to look at it as dollars, and they have to move through the system. And also, we're the transload capital of North America, Southern California. I was doing transload as a 3PL in the 1980s, and nobody, in not Seattle, not Savannah, not New York, competed with our transload operations. So, yeah, just to uh, explain that, John, uh, obviously you're taking freight, you're taking cargo out of these ocean-going containers and putting them into domestic equipment, domestic trailers. And, right, and, and you save and money yeah. and you, you postpone the allocation because if, rather than allocate um, all the green golf shirts, uh, when you order them 30 days out in Asia and say, I want five containers of green golf shirts going to Dallas, you can postpone that commitment. And at the port of entry, you can cross-stock it based on the latest orders. And then you can say, I don't want five to Dallas, I want only three, and I want two to Chicago, and I want one to Miami. So it's a postponement of product allocation, and that's that's going to continue because there's too much savings in not having the product allocated to the, where the demand was. It's called demand pull. Yeah. It used to be production push, but over the years, they evolved to demand pull, and the transloads went up. But it's time-sensitive cargo, so when you have extended queue time at the, at the terminal or dwell time, when it's gone from two days to seven days, the transload guys say, I can't handle this. I, my cargo's time-sensitive. I'm going to have to get out of here and go to somewhere where I can get two days or one day dwell time. And Savannah had the edge, but now I read recently that their uh, dwell time has gone up to four days, four or five days. Oh, so, so they're, they're suffering the, too. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about some of your recommendations for solving these problems. Let's start with the equipment shortages, the chassis shortages. How can those be alleviated? The chassis system, to begin with, is questionable. I was here when we designed, not we, but the ports and the terminals and the ocean carriers designed the system, and it was communicated as a great chassis pool that you could use any chassis on any ocean carrier in any box at any terminal. So that's what Norfolk developed about 25 years ago, and it worked well. But in the development of that chassis system, there were some tweaks and other things that uh, said, well, th this is the rule here, and we're going to have three s suppliers, not one, and we're going to have within each of those supplies, there'll be special requirements based on the ocean carriers, because some ocean carriers didn't completely release the control of their chassis. They said, well, we're going to release these responsibilities, but we expect you to hold this amount of inventory here for us and this. But it's mm -hmm. been an issue constantly and is aggravated by the spike in, in volume. It's just been said, hey, the system is not working. It wasn't working that well before, and now it's even more outstanding that you see it not working. So, 
But you're but, looking. You're you're recommending working cl more closely with drayage companies that own or lease their their chassis. That yeah, that's the, one solution shippers can do. They can say, well, if you're not using a drayman that doesn't have his own chassis, you should be. The BCO should encourage the, the ports and their ocean carriers to review the current chassis situation. And the appointment system is disconnected, fragmented, and it's not working as well as it should. So I'm advocating or suggesting that the two ports facilitate a port-wide standard appointment system that's integrated. So if trucker A is at Terminal 1 and he's got an appointment in one hour at Terminal 2, uh, he gets delayed at Terminal 1. Somehow the appointment system has to tell the second terminal, hey, this guy's going to be delayed an hour. You have an opening at one hour after he's a scheduled time, and then he keeps it. But today, the system says, you didn't make it, you didn't tell us, come back in three days and get the container, if you're mm -hmm. lucky. Yeah, and it's just yeah. killing the demurrage cost for uh, shippers. So those two things definitely need to be included in a solution thing. All right, so the, the problem of the restrictions on throughput containers, the desire of the carriers to turn those ocean containers around right at the port, not let them get inland, they'd rather send an empty box back to Asia than send it inland and get some export cargoes and, and get some revenue from that. What can be done about that? That seems like pure economics on the part of the ocean carriers. I don't know what shippers can do on that, at least stand firm and say the, it's not going to hurt the importers, it's going to hurt the exporters. This time of year is the seasonal peak for certain almonds and nuts and, and stuff that's got to go now because this is their seasonal peak, but they don't have enough equipment. There's a problem in how the steamship lines can solve that. Uh, nobody can tell the steamship lines, you've got to let those containers go through. You've got to let them go on intermodal rail to the Midwest and then be loaded it with exports to come back. It's it's their equipment, so if they say that. And the eastbound import rate is significantly higher than the export rates going westbound. So that's a... Mm -hmm. They get a lot more money from bringing stuff in than they do from taking yeah. containers back out again. Yeah. Yeah. And then the export loads are heavier. They're significantly heavier, so you can't put as many on your ship going back because of the weight factor. So that's a disincentive for the steamship lines. Right. Now, as I understand it, you're proposing also that shippers and third-party logistics providers who have some of these warehouses that are having congestion problems, too, should get together and conducting what you call an operations interface audit to identify friction points that need improvements. Explain a little bit about what form that would take. Well, uh, because the, the steamship lines are not allowing containers to go through, more freight is being routed through local warehouses to be unloaded here and then handled. So their volume is going up significantly and it's really testing their processes and procedures at these warehouses. If they're a standard bulk warehouse or fulfillment facility or a transload facility. So my suggestion is in anticipation of this big spike in volume, you should work with your 3PL operator to confirm that all the processes are in place and no improvements are needed because the systems are going to be tested significantly as this surge of new business to warehouses goes up. Yeah. I mean, I can't help remembering this dream uh, that Southern California ports told us about over the last decades about how these containers and equipment would just be gotten away from the port into like the Inland Empire in a flash where they would be easily transloaded or handled for distribution from there. But now it sounds like these inland distribution points, inland warehouses are not doing any better job of handling than the ones right down at the port, right? Well, you're kind of touching on something I worked on about 25 years ago, the Inland Port Feasibility Study. I was hired by the Alameda Corridor Transportation Authority and this was 25, maybe 30 years ago. It was before its time 
because I'm recommending that that study be done again because I think it's more appropriate. The elements are, are here. The big ships mm-hmm. evolved, and you have to accelerate the movement and the throughput of containers through these terminals. And one way to do that is to utilize your rail system and rail some containers quickly out the gate 24 hours a day to an inland depot. The problem is it's very challenging in Southern California because there's a lot of inland points where the cities have the NIMBY attitude. We've had enough trucks and warehouses. Don't tell me you're going to put a yard out here and bring trains and trucks 24 hours a day. So it's challenging, but you've got to take the pressure off these terminals. They cannot operate efficiently when you're dumping all this volume on them. It'll go down, but some people are saying this could be this entire year, 2021, of high-volume freight. So a lot of things that need to be done to protect the, the competitiveness of Southern California. How can we reform the current marine terminal drayage driver appointment system? It is not working. What do you recommend? Well, I recommend that the ports take the lead and sponsor, if they need to sponsor something, the evaluation of what's happening and what needs to happen to develop a a system-wide, port-wide integrated appointment system. So I'm suggesting that the ports Mm -hmm. take the lead. Because the terminals, independently, they'll say, no, I've got my appointment, he's got his, I'm fine. And they're not realizing, well, you're not fine. It might help you schedule your your terminal labor, but you're not turning trucks quicker to get your containers off your dock. They call it the container velocity. One of their goals is improve container velocity, get it through the terminal so they can handle more containers. And this is a factor that hits that big time, the appointment system. We've got trucks standing by in local area, not even the hinterland, like Carson, Compton, like 5, 10 miles from the facility, and they can't go down there because they don't have an appointment. So they're waiting and waiting. And then the terminals are also frustrated. They're saying, geez, why are these guys canceling the appointments? They said they've had 30% of the appointments canceled. And I said, well, there's two things that are causing that. you got some truckers that are booking ghost appointments. So when they get the containers available, they could come down. And when they don't get the containers, they just skip the appointment. And then you got the mm-hmm. other group of carriers that are their drivers are tied up at another terminal, and they can't make it. They physically can't get back to it, and there's no way to communicate to the terminal to get it rescheduled for a later time or the following morning or something. So that would make a big improvement. The other thing that, yeah. that's a big question, and I I'm not, don't have the insights on is how well did the shippers and major NVOCCs forecast this big spike in volume? Were the terminals and ocean carriers advised that this is coming and it's going to be happening? But another note on this subject, they might say, well, what can I do? I can't get more space in my terminal. I can't do this. Well, you can get out off-dock space, but even in California, we're not like Houston or Savannah. We don't have very little open space. It's just chock-a-block built out. So it's difficult. Unless you take it all the way inland, as you say, into like the inland yeah. empire area where there might be might be some space. Um, explain, we just only have a couple more minutes here. I want to get through another thing here, and that is the participation of the possible participation in the marine terminal free flow operations, which in the past have been used to avoid terminal congestion. Explain what that concept is Yeah, all this about. is where uh, marine terminals, inbound ship will come in and an importer's cargo would be called block stowed. It would be stowed in one segment of the, the ship. So as the longshoremen unloaded a lot of containers, they would put them in one part of the yard and they would just stack them in. They wouldn't put them in any order. They'd just say, this is importer A's containers. Put them in here. 
And then they would call the importer's trucker and says, hey, we've got you know, importer A's containers, come and get them. And, and they call it peel-off because it's the last one in, the first one out. Today, truckers go down and say, I need container one, two, three, four. And the terminal says, oh, that's great. I've got to dig that one out. That's way over here. Hmm. But the peel-off is a much more efficient way. The trucks turn quicker. They come through a special gate. They can turn in 20 minutes in some cases versus over an hour if you go through the standard process. So then you take them back. But a lot of the big importers, if they have 100 containers or 200, they say, of these 100, I want this priority because I have to unload and ship these faster because this product is selling faster than that product. Mm -hmm. It's been done. It's being done today on on a scale. And the terminals like it when it's done right. The truckers like it. It's one way of minimizing the congestion delay through the main gate. Boy, a lot of complex problems, not easily solved. And it does look like we're maybe in for this problem to continue at least through 2021. But John de Cesare, you have given us some very valuable advice on how we might begin to alleviate some of these problems. So I thank you very much for being with me to talk about it. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you. My pleasure. That was my conversation with John de Cesare, a world-class logistics consulting, talking about the Southern California supply chain meltdown. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at STBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.